After seven long months of investigating the causes of corruption in college basketball, the Rice Commission released its 60-page report on Wednesday. The commission, led by former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, laid out a series of recommended policy changes with the goal of stamping out corruption in NCAA basketball. Could this document lead to reforms that would expand over into other sports governed by the NCAA? Maybe even, I don't know, the sport that serves as the exclusive subject matter of this podcast? It's April 26th. My name is Connor Tapp, and you are listening to the 24-7 Sports Morning Blitz. 60 is an awful lot of pages, especially when it comes to a retired bureaucrat writing about NCAA rules. Fortunately, we've got Kevin Flaherty here to walk us through Wednesday's big news. Kevin, let's take it back to square one for people like me who may have heard about the Rice Commission for the very first time on Wednesday. What is the event or circumstance that triggered the creation of the Rice Commission, and what exactly was it tasked with doing in the first place? Sure. I think that part of the reason people didn't necessarily take the Rice Commission, especially seriously, initially especially, was that it happened after the whole FBI bombshell hit college basketball back in late September. September 27th was was the day that everybody kind of remembers where you had these coaches getting arrested and different people around the game, and the U.S. attorney comes out and, and has his big press conference and says that there are problems with corruption and fraud in college basketball. Everything that ranged from you know, coaches taking money to steer players to certain financial advisors to uh, the the thing that probably caught more fans' attention, which was shoe companies, you know, using their influence in order to allegedly put down money and help steer players to schools represented by those schools and uh, represented by those shoe companies. And, and Adidas is certainly the one that was, was indicated in all of that. So that happened in, in late September then in October, the NCAA announces this uh, this commission on uh, on college basketball to to kind of look at what went wrong and and not just look at what went wrong, but to attempt to provide some uh, some solutions. And the reason people didn't really initially like it, I think, was because people have known these things have been going on for for years, and so by the time they they sort of built this commission and said, okay, we're going to take a really deep look into it. People said, well, the horse is out the barn. Why, why haven't you looked at this before now? And so that was kind of the way that everything got started. And they've had since early October to sort of meet and come up with, uh, with the more than 50 page report, uh, the findings of which, uh, Condoleezza Rice relayed to uh, to sort of everybody today. And what were some of the main bullet points from that report? Yeah, uh, there there were a variety of them. Uh, it's kind of it's kind of tough to to touch on on sort of everything. But one of them was one of the main bullet points. I thought that was pretty interesting was they really blamed the whole one and done culture. For a lot of the issues in college basketball, uh, they uh, they went ahead and said that there were bad shoe influences, bad agent influences, and, and sought to to kind of fix some of those in different ways. One of the things that 
that they suggested as far as, you know, the shoe companies was finding a way to make the summer circuit that everybody's so familiar with AAU basketball that's it's been around for years and years and years, finding a way to get the NCAA's sort of hands in that and taking it away from uh, from what we currently see where you have this Nike circuit, you have an Adidas circuit and an Under Armour circuit, and then you have different events sort of built out and paid for by all these different shoe companies. Uh, the one and done thing I thought was, was pretty interesting because, one, I, I'm not sure most people – necessarily see that as a problem and i don't think that there's a a whole lot of evidence to suggest that hey these problems started getting worse once once people move to to a one and done system uh but the the other thing was you know having ncaa certify agents that could then work with with kids and, and and so there were a lot of different things like that that sort of wanted to take the outside money and the bad influences out of college basketball and give the NCAA a chance to regain control a little bit. And it was something that Rice really said that it's going to take a while to fix some of these issues. And a lot of these don't have you know simple solutions. And so when you look across the big list, and it is a big list, there are a lot of things that they felt like needed to be changed. It seems like the reaction to the Rice Commission's report has been pretty overwhelmingly negative. What is it that people are so unhappy about? Well, first, I think that there wasn't a whole lot of breaking things. There, It was a lot of no-duh, yes, that's a problem. Agents are a problem in college basketball. Yes, there is shoe money in college basketball. And so you looked at the different things, and and it was kind of like, okay, you're you're taking the things that everybody knows are obvious issues, and not necessarily attacking some of the less obvious issues. And I think that was the first part of it. The second part was I think people really wanted them to go out on more of a limb and tackle things like, you know, eligibility, the use of players' likeness. Even though the the committee had said that they wouldn't be looking at those things, uh, I think that was that was something that, I think everybody feels it is sort of the the apple of Eden. You know, everything really stems from that. If you're paying players or if you're finding a way to pay players, then what impact does that agent really have? What impact do the shoe companies really have in terms of funneling that money in? And so to not tackle that, it, it kind of felt like they left the biggest issue just wholly unresolved. And then the final part was, I think they came up with some truly terrible ideas on on how to fix some of these things. You know, one of the one of the things that they had talked about with regard to the the summer circuit was having the NCAA run it, and I don't think they realized the scope of which they'd have to replace all of that stuff. You know, we had myself, Evan Daniels, Jerry Meyer, Brian Snow, Josh Gershon, the recruiting team. We, we all went to Dallas this past weekend because Dallas had a Nike showcase. They had an Under Armour showcase. There were different events there, and it was a chance for us to really you know, go to one or two places and lay eyes on hundreds of kids. And college coaches were there evaluating those guys. And so if you're talking about you know, an NCAA-sponsored camp, which was one of the things that they had mentioned, camps aren't great for scouting basketball players anyway for coaches. And how are you going to separate that out? I mean, are you only inviting the top 100 players or Division II type players invited, Division Three guys? 
and so it makes it it makes it really tough for them to to put those players in a situation where where they're going to be noticed. And if it's really about the kids, I think that that's a situation where it, it could be even worse off for them. And I think the other thing that was really poor was the way they addressed the one and done rule. You know, looking looking at it one because it, it's not college basketball's rule in the first place. It, it's there by virtue of the NBA and and the NBA Players Association. And they basically said, hey, even if the NBA won't play with us on this, there are different things that we can do to eliminate one-and-dones. And one of those things was that they had suggested was possibly you know, locking a scholarship in for three or four years and, and things of that nature, where if you did have a player leave early, then you know you would you would simply not be able to fill that scholarship. And if this is really about the kids, as the NCAA continues to suggest, through all of its advertising, public relations, everything, what good does it do somebody that some other kid can't come in and get Marvin Bagley's scholarship? You know, Duke is having four one and done guys in this class going off to the pros. And those are four spaces that theoretically kids wouldn't be able to go and get educated at Duke or, you know, play basketball at Duke because they would have to be locked down for three or four years after those players leave. Are there any recommendations in the report that seem like good ideas or failing that just potentially not actively bad ideas? Sure. I think that there were two really good ideas that I noticed. One was allowing players to come back if they weren't drafted. And that's just common sense to me. You know, it, it gives teams a, a chance to regain some of these guys that maybe make bad decisions. And you're also not necessarily punishing kids who do make a bad decision. You know, we had, I think 180 some players declare early for the NBA draft. And that's not counting the, the guys overseas and there's 60 draft spots. So, I mean, simple math dictates that 120 of those kids aren't going to get drafted. And while some of them are going to decide to come back on their own, some are going to stay in the draft because they feel like they have a guarantee or they're going to get taken somewhere and they're going to stay in it and just not get drafted. And then they're, they face an uphill battle to get into the NBA. And so why not allow those kids that, that don't get drafted to come back to college basketball? I think it would improve the sport. I think it works for, for the players as well. And it seems like a pretty no duh, you know, solution. The other one is, hiring an outside group to handle the NCAA's rules violations. And when you look at, you know, the way things have gone with football, you know, when they prosecuted USC for the whole, for the Reggie Bush thing, Reggie Bush was gone. And so Reggie Bush didn't need to respond to any of their subpoena requests. The NCAA was essentially powerless to get the main guy for this case that they wanted to talk to, to come and talk to him. And, and even beyond that, I'm not sure that the NCAA with its codes enforcement division is really equipped to, you know, both charge and say, Hey, there might've been a violation here and then go out and, and prosecute the case, look at all the facts and make the decisions. And so I think that, that, that's a definite no-brainer when you look at bringing in an outside company or, or somebody different to be able to look at those things, too. And, and, you know, the NCAA has been killed for years over the way that they have inconsistently 
sort of looked at these different violations and codes and by bringing in somebody else to handle that part of it, I, I think that it makes a lot of sense. As much as this report has kind of been met with a whimper, presumably you don't dedicate this many resources to an undertaking like this without having any intention on acting on it. Do you have any sense that there's anything here that will lead to some meaningful change for the NCAA? Yeah, I think it very well could lead to change. You know, when when the committee was formed, you know, the NCAA president, Mark Emmert, expressed publicly that the NCAA was was going to need to take the commission's findings seriously and potentially even move on some of those, you know, recommendations fairly quickly. And some of these things are, are quicker and, and easier to move on than others. I, I would think that you know, making the decision to invite people back, you know, who weren't drafted would be something that could be fairly quickly enacted within the next few years. Whereas if you truly decide that you're going to remake summer basketball and do it through the NCAA, that's something that's going to take a while. And so I do think that there are going to be some changes from this. One of the things that could come in immediately was, you know, Condoleezza Rice expressed, hey, the the punishments for cheaters in college basketball just aren't enough. There's just not enough incentive to not cheat. And so one of the things that you could see fairly immediately is just them saying, you know what, we're we're going to go ahead and make penalties for cheaters that much harsher because that's something that they can go ahead and do, you know, within the next few months, even if they really wanted to. This report is not directly related to college football in any way, but uh, college football and college basketball are governed by the same entity. Do do you think there's any chance for any of this the reform attempts to reform basketball could spill over into football? Sure, I, I think so. I think especially when it comes to the way that they enforce violations, the stiffer penalties, and things of that nature. You know, basketball is just more obvious than college football. It's more of an obvious scene where there is a, a quote-unquote black market for players and the way that players move around and do certain things is influenced by money. And it, it's funny because, you know, maybe 10 years ago in college football, people were lamenting these seven-on-seven travel teams and saying, oh, my gosh, it's going to turn college football into college basketball. And so even 10 years ago, people knew there were issues with college basketball. The good news for college football is the seven-on-seven teams never really achieved that that level of anything. It, it became, kind of remained just sort of a fun thing for these guys to do over the summer to improve themselves and things of that nature. But you really didn't have as much of an issue with handlers and all the different hands out and and different things going on. And so I do think that college football is probably in a little bit better shape than college basketball as far as the things that they need to deal with. But there's not any doubt that that some of these things, especially the way that they do enforce violations, whether they wind up getting, you know, an outside company or outside board to, to take care of some of these things, and even potentially the way that, that schools interact with with shoe and apparel companies. All of those are things that could that could sort of slither their way over to college football. Kevin Flaherty is a national college basketball writer for Twenty Four Seven Sports. You can find him on Twitter at kflaherty two four seven. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot, Tom.
there's a new episode of The Morning Blitz every weekday. So we'll be back in your podcast feed tomorrow morning, talking to the reporters covering the biggest college football stories of the day in a tidy 10 to 15 minute package. If you enjoy what we're doing here at The Morning Blitz, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and tell a friend to check us out. Thank you.